The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin with Wall Street looking for a Tuesday turnaround after the S&P 500 does something for the first time this year. Futures are higher. Investors also bracing for an onslaught of big tech results. We're going to tee up the numbers that you should be watching for when it comes to Alphabet and Microsoft. Also, on Capitol Hill, Republicans at it again, getting set for a closed-door vote on the next House Speaker. Eight candidates on the ballot. We have a live report in just a moment. Plus, one month, $110 billion in deals. We look at the energy sector and the possible acquisition targets that are still on the table. And then later in the show, fresh bullish sentiment sending Bitcoin to 2023 highs. It is Tuesday, October the 24th, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start this Tuesday. We kick it off with a check on U.S. stock futures, as always, after a bit of a mixed day for Wall Street yesterday that saw the S&P close down for a fifth session in a row. That's its longest losing streak since December of 2022. Take a look right now. You're seeing green across the board. It looks like the Dow would open up almost 100 points higher. However, the futures are off their highs of just earlier this morning. So they may be higher right now, but the small caps, they're definitely not. As we continue to watch the Russell 2000 now trading at a fresh 52-week low. Take a look right here. You can see it's down almost 5.5% this year so far. You see the slide kind of accelerating uh, in the last couple of months just right now. We also want to look at the bond market. Of course, that was the big story yesterday. A sharp reversal in yield in the last 24 hours as the 10-year bond. It just pulls back from 5%. Take a look this morning at 4.82, basically a 20 basis point slide to the downside. You can see the sharp move there. Somebody did the drawing for me. Sharp move to the downside right there, as you can see. We also want to look at the energy sector. Coming off yesterday's more than $50 billion Chevron Hess deal. Take a look at oil right now. Up fractionally, WTI at about 85.65 a barrel. Brent crude back above 90 bucks a barrel, up almost a quarter of a percent right now. And we're watching Bitcoin. Remember, we used to always do Bitcoin. We're bringing it back, kind of a throwback Tuesday. Bitcoin partying like it's July, back above $30,000, well back above $30,000, basically at 34,070 bucks, up almost 9% this morning. Sharp move to the upside. As you can see, the price of Bitcoin is now doubled so far this year, up 105 percent. Much more in this big move to the upside when it comes to cryptocurrency. That's coming up later in the show. All right. We're going to turn our attention back to stocks and the rate shocks ripple effects across performance, portfolios and outlooks all over Wall Street. While yields, they may be taking a bit of a breather this morning on Fast Money last night. Jim Bianco of Bianco Research said we are only seeing a pit stop on the way to five and a half percent. The highest point in the yield curve right now is six-month bills at 5.5%. So if we're going to completely uninvert the yield curve, and I think we're destined on to do that or somewhere along those lines, then it's got to go to at least 5.5% because the Fed has said that they're higher for longer. 
Joining me now is Freedom Capital Markets Chief Global Strategist Jay Woods and BombBlocks co-founder Joanna Gallegos. Great to have you both here. Joanna, I'm going to start with you. Agree or disagree that the 10-year yield is headed to 5.5%? Well, I, I think like it's hard to predict rates. I mean, anybody that tries is, is going to um, have a hard time doing that. But the important point is that structurally fixed income and yields have been you know, skyrocketed since the Fed started raising rates. And we know that they're going to be higher for longer. And what does this mean for investors and how should investors be thinking about this right now? If you're concerned and you want to dampen different types of risk in your portfolio, we've been talking and advocating all through 2023 is you really, really need to be switching more of your portfolio into fixed income and and getting better exposure and taking advantage of these yields. Because there is a silver lining to this, and that is that yields are at historic highs. And there's really a great it's an interesting barbell. You can you can wait it out and get paid down in cash, as Jim was mentioning, um, in the short term treasury market with low duration and low interest rate risk. But we're actually advocating that people move further out in the credit spectrum, reduce your duration and get some credit exposure, because right now you're being paid for that additional risk in a way that you haven't been. And it's really important to do that. All right. So Joanna's saying she's not going to try to forecast where the 10-year yields headed. But do you agree with the principle behind what uh, Bianco Research was saying there? Uh, over the longer-term time frame, it, it seems like we're going to be heading that way. But given the speed of this move and how quickly we've come, uh, I think yesterday's reversal was very telling. And I, I think that rates should calm down for the foreseeable future, meaning into the end of this year. So uh, as far as rates go, they've been driving this bus. I think they've come a little too far ahead of over their skis. Uh, and I think we're going to get a little bit of a cool-off over the short term, which will be good for equities. All right. So obviously, Banyos are really the, the story of the market yesterday. I want to talk to both of you about some tweets that we have from some very notable investors. I'm going to start with one from Bill Gross. He says, in part, on bonds, invest in the curve, various combinations, 210, 25, should go positive before year end. I'm buying uh, SOO, SOFR futures higher for longer is yesterday's mantra. And then we have one from Bill Ackman. I want to bounce both of these off of you. Uh, Bill Ackman said, we covered our bonds short. There is too much risk in the world to remain short bonds at current long-term rates. The economy is slowing faster than recent data suggests. Uh, Jay, I'm going to start with you. What's your take on these two tweets from very notable investors really focused on the rise in yields and how to play it? Yeah, no, they, that was the talk of the floor yesterday. Definitely moved markets. Um, I think they're on to something. Uh, the higher for longer narrative, I don't think that that is uh, something that's going to go away anytime soon. But I, I think with the bond market, we may have put in a near-term bottom and we may get a little bit of a rally here. So for me, uh, those, those tweets were, were spot on. And, uh, you know, when, when those two guys speak, you, you always listen. Kind of an E.F. Hutton type of effect. Uh, w- without a doubt. Previous generation. Joanne, I'm going to come to you. I think you were basically saying something very similar to what Bill Gross is saying, but just want to make sure, agree, invest in the curve, various combinations, 210, 25. Agree with that way to play it? Exactly. I think if you look at 2023, actually, the curve itself has been more volatile than other, other areas of fixed income. And so, you know, investing in the curve, either on the long side, the volatility of, of long treasuries has been you know, almost as close at this point to the volatility of equities. So like what we're advocating is like get out of any kind of duration risk in your portfolio. Look for a good quality credit. We really, really, really like the triple C category. It's yielding over 14 percent. It has lower volatility than the S&P 500. So if you're expecting some weakness in the economy or you're thinking that rates are going to reverse, it just matters of how fast they're going to reverse and coming down from levels like 14 percent, even in 
in triple C and high yield. We, we really think that people should be considering these spaces. We think it's the best kept secret in fixed income, very, very low interest rate risk across the board. Um, but the reversal of rates is, is probably going to take some time. And for 2024, you still need to be thinking about these fixed income areas. All right. So Joanna's focused on that best kept secret. Jay, do you have a best kept secret for us? Our, our audience, they're always looking for great ways to invest when it comes to equities and bonds. Yeah, well, I, I think the secrets are going to be revealed this week. Uh, oh. Jim Cramer tweeted, you were talking about Twitter. Uh, he tweeted this morning, this is the playoffs for the market. And this this earnings season is going to be telling. Uh, when you have Microsoft with Katie Stockton, I actually did a great preview of yesterday on your show, um, and uh, Google today, the, these stocks are what's going to move the equity market right now. Uh, you know, 14% of the S&P 500 is consistent of Google, Microsoft, Amazon, and Meta, which report this week. So this, to me, is the tell. I think earnings are there. And then watch the Russell. The Russell has been beaten down because rates are spiked so high, they're coming into a nice floor. And over the long term, if you back it out, you look at a chart at the Russell, we're in a major support area. So I think we're going to get a little bit of a uh, relief rally here and uh, the mega caps will kick it off. All right, we'll have to continue to watch the Russell again, down about five and a half percent year to date. Jay Woods, Joanna Gallegos, thank you both for being here. Thank you. Thank you. All right, we're going to turn our attention now to Washington, D.C. and Capitol Hill. House Republicans trying to rally again to find a new House speaker with a vote set for later this morning. We now have eight candidates likely to be on the ballot. NBC's Bree Jackson joins me now with much more on the action in D.C. Bree, good morning. Good morning, Frank. So we're waiting to see, will today be the day that we see a a speaker elected? So this morning, we do know the GOP will have eight candidates to choose from. This after Dan Muser dropped out of the race, saying he wanted to focus on campaigning in Pennsylvania instead. Last night, Republicans spent hours in a closed-door forum. Each candidate was able to make their pitch and then answer questions. Here's what we expect today. This morning, Republicans will meet again to begin voting on a nominee. There will be multiple rounds of voting by secret ballot. And whoever gets the lowest number of votes, they will be eliminated from the next round. And this process will continue until one candidate wins more than 50 percent of the vote. That person will become the GOP nominee and then face the challenge of getting 217 votes in the full House to finally win the gavel and get the House back to work. Now, there's still no clear frontrunner, but multiple lawmakers say that they are confident that a speaker role will be filled tonight. And several have also confirmed that during the forum last night, all of the speaker candidates committed to backing whoever is chosen as the Republican nominee. Frank? Another interesting day in D.C. Bree Jackson, always great to see you. Thank you very much. All right, we got a lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, one month, $110 billion in deals. We look at the energy sector and the possible acquisition targets that are still on the table. Plus, we got your big money movers and why it's a buyer's market for shares of Redfin. And then later, getting set for big tech. We lay out the key numbers you need to be watching when Alphabet and Microsoft report later today. We have a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich.
Edward Jones, member SIPC. You haven't heard about the McCrispy yet? Well then, you probably haven't heard the sweet silence after the first crispy bite either. Go try it for yourself to hear the best not sound you've ever heard. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Looks like the Dow would open up about 90 points higher at this moment. The S&P and the Nasdaq both up about a half a percent, a third of a percent, respectively. Let's now see how Europe is shaping up as this trading day gets underway. Our Juliana Tattlebond is live in our London newsroom with much more on the early action. Juliana, good morning. Frank, good morning. Well, as for the early action, it's already been a fairly choppy session and we're only a couple of hours in. We were down across the board early on, but now we've got some green coming through. The outperforming market of the bunch is the French market. The CAC 40 up a quarter of a percent right now. We're seeing a decent bid for the luxury names in contrast to some of the downbeat earnings we've had already in the luxury space. Today, we heard from Hermes. They beat expectations and are pulling up the rest of the luxury sector with it. Outside of France, though, we've got um, some red on the board still for the FTSE 100. It's down two-tenths of a percent. FTSE MIB also down by about two-tenths of a percent in Italy. It is a pretty busy earnings day. Uh, we've got Hermes, as I said. We've also got Logitech. It's the top performer in Europe. Stock 600, the main benchmark this morning after it raised its full-year outlook, telling investors a focus on cost discipline is paying off despite sales falling 8% in its second quarter. Now, in sharp contrast, Barclays shares are under heavy selling pressure this morning, nearly 5% lower right now. We were more more than 8% lower at one stage. It is one of the worst performing stocks in the region. After the bank warned it may incur material charges in the fourth quarter as a result of cost-cutting measures and said pressure for savers' money was beginning to hit its margins. In other words, they are now being forced to pass on those higher interest rates to depositors, to savers, and it is hitting margins. So that's weighing on the Barclays share price. It's also weighing on the broader U.K. banking sector this morning. Frank? Juliana, thank you very much. Our Juliana Tattlebaum, live in our London newsroom. All right, we're turning back to the energy sector. Shares of Chevron and Hess, they are moving higher today as investors continue to digest that $53 billion takeover deal. But yesterday on the news, Hess falling about 1%, while Chevron dropped more than 3.5% for its worst day since the beginning of May. That dragged down the entire energy sector, which was the worst performer in the S&P 500. Chevron CEO Mike Wirth laid out the case for the deal yesterday on Squawk on the Street. We need to uh, operate in the world that we live in, and that is one that still needs oil and gas delivered by uh, responsible producers. This is a fantastic, exciting deal for us. It's about long-term growth. It's about long-term value and a continuing a commitment to a lower carbon energy system. All right, so will this deal and ExxonMobil's $60 billion offer for Pioneer earlier this month open the floodgates or put a lid on further M&A activity in the energy sector Let's bring in Peter McNally, Global Sector Lead for Industrials, Materials and Energy at Third Bridge. Peter, good morning. Great to have you here. Great to see you, Frank. All right. So we just told the audience about the two big deals in recent days. Give us a sense. Is this a trend that investors should be really paying close attention to? And is there is there any way they can capitalize on it? Well, it's hard not to pay attention when we're talking about deals this big. And, you know, in the case of Hess, pretty historic company. It's been around for, for nearly a century. But... You know, I, I think these were two cases where you had motivated sellers, uh, CEOs nearing retirement age. And, you know, so maybe an approach made, made some sense for, you know, for the buyers. But oil prices around $90 a barrel tends to be more fun to run an oil company. So, 
Trying to agree agree on a price can be can be difficult, but in in these cases, you know, we we had big deals consummated. So for both okay. Pioneer and for Hess. So Peter, hitting on something that obviously everybody's paying attention to, the rise in oil prices. Looking at oil right now, up this morning on some Middle East concerns, up about 15 bucks a barrel since July. We had some announcements of, of some OPEC cuts and some other things that have been a catalyst for the price action there. How does this rise in oil prices? How does this play a factor either in M&A or, you know, a slowdown in M&A? I mean, how does that really influence what we're seeing here? Well, you know, I'd say today the energy industry or the traditional oil and gas industry is financially healthy. There's a lot of cash flow. You know, balance sheets have been repaired from where they were three years ago. Uh, Dividends are on the rise. Buybacks are on the rise. And then in this case, you know, you're getting some M&A, although these two deals for Pioneer and Hess have been stock deals. You know, the, the buyers, Chevron and ExxonMobil, are not increasing financial risk by doing them. They're just they're just offering shares. So, you know, it is a pretty good time, you know, for these companies to invest. They've just been a little bit hesitant to do so, particularly here in the United States, as they've been practicing more capital discipline, being cautious on on where and when they invest their dollars. And instead, they've been returning it to shareholders. All right. So a lot of talk in recent days about the Permian Basin. It's uh, one of the most highest producing oil fields here in the United States. Um, Give us a sense. How is that influencing this possible M&A story? And is there a company in your mind that's the next likely target for M&A? Well, again, on the the likely target list, you got to get someone who's willing, a willing seller. You know, at this point, and I think in the case of, of Pioneer and Hess, you had CEOs nearing nearing retirement on companies that they had built and run run for decades. So I, I think you know the the basin has consolidated into the hands of a few companies, namely Oxy, Chevron, ConocoPhillips, and and ExxonMobil. There are some other like bigger players out there at different stages of their career, like. EOG Resources, which is pretty diversified, or uh, okay. Diamondback Energy. So a lot of possibilities, which, it sounds like, Peter. Is there one in your mind that's that's the most likely for M&A going forward? These deals are hard to put together. So I'm not sure I could say any single one company that's going to agree to a price. The higher the oil price goes, I think it's less likely that you, you get someone selling. Really? All right. Peter McNally from Third Bridge. Great to have you here. Appreciate the time and the insight. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, energy deal-making, that may be red hot, but David Solomon says the good times may start and end right in Texas. Fresh comments from Goldman CEO. That's coming up right after this. We could try to explain what it feels like to get your work done on a John Deere. The way a Z-Track mower finishes in half the time you thought it would or how much easier it is to move mountains of soil with a one-series tractor. We could even go into detail about how it feels to tow up to 4,000 pounds behind a Gator XUV. But if you really want to know what it's like to run with us, you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. We have a news alert out of China. Our Eunice Yoon joins me now on the CNBC Newsline. Units. Thanks so much, Frank. Well, the reports have started to emerge that President Xi Jinping himself has visited the central bank. Uh, he, along with the vice premier, uh, Hu Lifeng, and 
um, some other government officials appear to have not only visited the central bank, but also the Forex regulator, the state administration of foreign exchange. Uh, in addition to that, the vice premier uh, visited the nation's sovereign wealth fund. Now, what's also um, interesting is that this is really the first time uh, that we've heard of President Xi uh, visiting the central bank. Uh, there are also reports that uh, the purpose of his visit is to better understand the uh, the Forex uh, reserves that China has, which is to the tune of about $3 trillion. Frank? Eunice, I want to come back to you. So you mentioned this is the first time that we know of that President Xi's visited the People's Bank of China. Is, is that a significant visit or is just happen to be a coincidence that he comes on this day? Is this time to anything else going on in China? Well, um, it, right now we, we don't know um, because uh, this has not been confirmed. It's not in state media. Also, the, the central bank uh, website um, hasn't confirmed this visit. But um, in terms of timing, what's interesting, of course, is that the economy is doing uh, quite poorly. Um, there's a lot of concern about the direction of the economy. And in fact, uh, just next week, uh, we're expecting to see a closed door national financial work conference here in Beijing. Uh, a lot of folks are expecting that the leadership is going to uh, look at what's happening in the economy and try to set up uh, more priorities and policies to manage risks as well as uh, really prioritize the economic um, concerns that people have about this place. All right. So, again, uh, reports that President Xi of China is making his first ever trip to the People's Bank of China. Our Eunice Yoon with the very latest. Eunice, thank you very much. All right. Time now for your big money movers. We're going to start off with shares of Cleveland Cliffs. They're moving higher this morning. The company reporting a jump in third quarter profit thanks to recent cost cutting efforts. Cleveland also noting liquidity is now at an all time high after generating over six hundred million dollars in free cash flow during the quarter. Shares of Cleveland Cliffs up just about three percent. Redfin shares also surging after announcing Apollo Capital and its affiliates are planning to commit up to $250 million in financing to the real estate company. That's through a loan, according to recent SEC filings. The deal extending Redfin's debt maturities into 2028, opening the door for additional convertible debt repurchases. Shares of Redfin up over 9.5%. And watching shares of Okta this morning, following a more than 8% slump yesterday, the move lower wiping out more than $2 billion in market cap for the cybersecurity company and comes after the company disclosed a hack of its support systems last week. The latest in a string of similar incidents. Shares of Okta up just fractionally right now, but again, dropped more than 8% yesterday. All right, time now to get a check on the more of this morning's headlines outside of the world of business. NBC's Philip Menas in New York with the very latest. Philip, good morning. Hi, Frank. Good morning. Two more hostages have been freed from Gaza by Hamas. Two elderly Israeli women are confirmed to have been handed over on the Egyptian border with Gaza. On Friday, two dual Israeli-American citizens were also released. Still, officials believe that more than 200 hostages remain in Hamas captivity. In Louisiana, seven people were killed after more than 150 vehicles were part of this massive pileup. Officials believe the crash, which has also left more than two dozen people injured, was likely caused by a combination of dense fog and smoke from wildfires, the conditions known as super fog. The visibility was reduced to near zero. 
Finally, there was a surprise delivery at Sunday's Indianapolis Colts-Cleveland Browns game. A baby was born just 20 minutes into the game at Lucas Oil Stadium. The new mom went into labor as she was arriving at the stadium and went straight to the first aid to get some help. Browns wide receiver David Bell told Indianapolis TV station WLFI that the newborn is his niece. So uh, the game was exciting enough. 39-38, to 38, the Browns won. But on top of that, Frank, there is a new baby to be celebrated. Wow, congratulations to him. That was quite a game, too. Philip, great to see you. You too. All right, straight ahead here in Worldwide Exchange, the all-star studded streaming deal courtesy of former President Barack Obama. It is your top trending story, and it's coming up when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. It's right around 5.30 a.m. in the New York City area, and there's a lot more ahead here in Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck. Stocks looking to regain some momentum after a mixed start to the new trading week and the reality of elevated rates. Futures are higher this morning. Top of mind for investors today, earnings and the kickoff to big tech with Microsoft and Alphabet both on tap. We're going to tee up the key numbers that you need to watch and some of Wall Street's top leaders gathering for Davos in the desert, offering fresh insights into navigating higher for longer and rising geopolitical tensions all around the world. It is Tuesday, October the 24th, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's get you ready on this Tuesday morning. As always, we pick up the half an hour with the check on U.S. stock futures. Following the mixed start to the trading week, take a look. You can see green across the board. The Dow now looks like it would open up about 100 points higher. The S&P and the Nasdaq both moving higher throughout the morning. Turning to the bond market now, and that really sharp reversal in yields after the 10-year bond had very briefly touched 5% yesterday, Take a look. We'll start with the benchmark, the 10-year at 4.83, down just about 20 basis points from where it was yesterday. Uh, very similar story when it comes to the long bond, also down just about 20 basis points from yesterday. But again, the whole yield curve moving to the downside, digging deeper into the ripple rate effects, looking at tech specifically. Since the start of July, the tech spider ETF, the XLK, it is down just about 5%, 5.25%. You can see the 10-year Treasury yield. It's actually up during that time, up about 25%. We don't usually talk about bonds in percentage moves, but you can just see that inverse relationship. Yields go up, tech seems to go down, and we've seen that trend throughout the tech universe. Among the worst performers in the XLK, we're talking a wide range of names. We're talking SolarEdge, Enphase, Zebra Technologies, Fortinet, also Texas Instruments. You can see solar is down 68%, Texas down 18%. So a wide range of companies, a wide range of impact when you look at some of these companies. And one thing that we also want to talk about, not feeling the impact of these higher rates. We rarely get to say that, but there's one area not feeling the pinch. That's cryptocurrency. Bitcoin rallying to an 18-month high thanks to ongoing optimism that the SEC will finally approve an ETF that invests directly into crypto. We're looking at Bitcoin right now. Back above 30,000 and basically 34,200 and some change up almost nine and a half percent right now. You're seeing that sharp swing to the upside when it comes to crypto. All right. We want to turn our attention back to earnings as Microsoft and Alphabet. They kick off a very busy week for mega cap tech. The magnificent seven stocks. That's a basket of AI focused stocks coming off their highs of the year. But you can see still outperforming the broader market. As we mentioned, rising rates along with political tensions and geopolitical concerns all weighing on the sectors as investors, they reassess their risk appetite. Let's start off with Microsoft. We're going to look ahead to that, which makes up 6.5% of the S&P 500 compared to Alphabet's 2% weighting. 
It is expected to see revenue increase by 9%, earnings rise by 13%. But the call, that's really going to be the key, with analysts looking for any commentary on its AI co-pilot, which launches on November 1st. Also top of mind, growth in Microsoft's cloud infrastructure business forecasted to increase by 26% year over year. You can see it's a bit of a slowdown from previous quarters. Outlook on cloud also key. Joining me now with the investor perspective is Jason Ware, Chief Investment Officer of Albion Capital. Jason, good morning. It is great to have you here with us this morning. Thanks, Frank. Good to be with you. All right. So as we mentioned, Microsoft reports after the bell. As an investor, what are you focused on? Yeah. So, you know, look, Microsoft and Alphabet have both been caught up in the AI, um, you know, mania this year. So both the stocks have done very well. So I think first and foremost, investors are going to be looking for with Microsoft, you know, is the AI hype coming through business results? Are we seeing uh, meaningful growth because of AI? And if not, when is this going to occur? So I think first and foremost, there's going to be a lot of focus on AI, as you mentioned. Second, cloud is important. Before the AI hype, before ChatGPT, became, um, you know, part of the lexicon. It was Azure Cloud that was driving results at Microsoft. So we're going to continue to look for whether or not Azure is not only continuing to grow, but we think there's a good chance that we could see an inflection this quarter. One, because if you look at the last four quarters, um, Azure has been slowing sequentially. And I think we might see a bottom here in this quarter. Two, uh, the more we move to AI workloads, the more we're going to see these hyperscalers like Microsoft Azure uh, probably see an uptick in their growth because these AI workloads require more cloud computing. So Azure is going to be important. And then I think third for Microsoft that we're looking for is just commentary around the Activision Blizzard deal. Look, it's okay. now closed. Uh, Mike, what's Microsoft going to do with it? Where are we? All right. So you're looking at a wide range of things, Jason, in general. I do want to ask sure. you about the valuation of Microsoft trading at a 31 times forward P.E., um, where have you been yep. at in recent months? Have you been adding to your position, trimming, and what would you need to see from this report with this valuation to add more to this position? Yeah, so, you know, we don't typically, um, you know, trade around earnings reports. Uh, we, we haven't been adding to the position. In fact, we've trimmed the position into strength um, recently, but we still have a meaningful position in Microsoft. We've been owners for a decade and, you know, we're not looking to change our core position meaningfully. We still think it's a great secular growth story, but as far as valuation is concerned, look, it is expensive. I mean, as you notice, trading at 31 times forward earnings, which is historically a couple of turns above its average right. PE multiple. So I think in order for the stock to continue to move higher, we're going to have to see a reacceleration of cloud. We're going to have to see some really exciting news around or business results around AI. So, you know, we're, okay. we're somewhat neutral over the near term on oh. Microsoft, despite being long-term bullish. Neutral for now, Microsoft shares up almost 1% in the pre-market. Yep. Uh, Jason, want to pivot over to Alphabet, also getting set to report its results this afternoon. Revenues forecast to increase by 10%, while EPS is expected to grow by 37, 37%. Key part of its business, yep. YouTube advertising, estimated to grow by 10%, offering a read on consumer spending and confidence in the economy. And like Microsoft, Alphabet's growth driver is the global cloud computing market. It is the third largest player, though J.P. Morgan says this business could be under some pressure as companies reduce their spending and look to optimize current cloud capacity. Jason, you also own Alphabet. What are your expectations for this report? Yeah, I think it's going to be a good uh, earnings report for Alphabet. Look, like you said, YouTube uh, seems to be uh, tracking quite well. So we, we think the growth in video spend is going up. They're benefiting from that <clears throat> core growth in, you know, search and, and digital advertising after, you know, struggling there for a few quarters last year. Looks like it's, 
you know, set to pick up as well. So we think we're going to have a pretty good core, um, you know, business result from search. And then, like you said, cloud is actually growing faster for Google, even though it's not yet as profitable um, versus uh, Microsoft and Amazon. So we, we expect a pretty good quarter for Google. Um, they have a little bit more of an open lane in terms of their annual comps. I mean, if you look at the quarter last year, it was mid single digits. So like you said, they're going to be a little bit better than Microsoft in terms of the growth rate. Valuations not as demanding trading in a mid 20s multiple. So we expect good right. things from Google this this quarter. What do you think about AI when it comes to Alphabet? Um, you know, they released some AI products. They did not receive rave reviews by any means. A lot of people questioning their AI strategy. Uh, you think that Microsoft's going to see a bottom in a lot of its business due to AI enthusiasm. How does AI impact Alphabet? Uh, in a lot of ways. Look, you know, um, as you noted in the spring, you know, Microsoft had really taken over, um, you know, the excitement around AI because of ChatGPT. It looked like Google was perhaps, uh, you know, the, the, the company that had the most to lose. That didn't last very long because at their I.O. conference, Alphabet's I.O. conference in May, they really took back that narrative, uh, demonstrating a broad suite of uses for AI, in particular, Bard, uh, with uh, with regards to Google search. So, look, I, I think the reality is, is that Google's an AI first company. Uh, they're going to continue to be an AI first company. And there's a lot of ways that AI is going to impact their business in a positive way, um, with core search being one of them, of course. So there's a, lo a lot of a lot of updates to be had on AI uh, with Alphabet. And we're going to look at what uh, they have to say in the quarter about how that's going. You know, you mentioned with Microsoft, you were interested in commentary around the Activision Blizzard acquisition. When it comes right. to Alphabet, expecting any commentary about the regulation when it comes to Apple and search? I mean, that's a big part of at least their brand image to be able to be the default browser on every iPhone, which, of course, is a very popular phone here in the U.S. Yep. Yeah, it's a great position to be in for sure, but it's a costly position as well, as we've learned. So it's going to be interesting to see what um, they, they what comments they may have around that. My guess is, given the fact that we're kind of, you know, in a ongoing, um, you know, trial situation, they're going to be somewhat limited in their commentary. But I wouldn't be surprised if analysts ask uh, some 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 management some thoughts around that. But I, I don't expect a whole lot uh, to be offered up. All right. Jason, Ware of Albion Capital. Great to see you. Thank you very much. Appreciate Thanks. it. Thanks. Yep. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, Wall Street descends on Riyadh as some of the biggest names in banking. They offer up some fresh insights at Davos in the desert. We have a live report from Saudi Arabia coming up. But first, as we head to break, we got some of your top trending stories. What do LeBron James, Peyton Manning, and the Obamas have in common? It's Netflix. The trio reportedly teaming up to create a new series for the streaming giant focused on the lives of professional basketball players with backing from the Obamas production company. Spider-Man Spidey Sense is leveling up in a brand new way. Marvel's Spider-Man 2 breaking the record for the fastest PlayStation Studios game, selling more than 2.5 million copies within the first 24 hours of debuting. And now's the chance to add a little pep to your step. Pepsi unveiling a themed diner in New York City featuring a three-course meal of foods that are infused with Coca-Cola, or with Cola, not Coca-Cola, Cola, just to be clear. For $50 per person, guests can take a trip through Pepsi's history and we'll have access to unlimited soft drinks and Pepsi-themed trivia. We're back with much more Worldwide Exchange in just a moment. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your morning call sheet. We start with Piper Sandler raising its rating on American Express, moving it to neutral. Piper saying while it expects revenue growth for the company to slow heading into next year, it expects American Express to continue to produce earnings growth over the next two years. Shares of American Express, they're up almost 1%. We got another upgrade this morning, this time from Stiefel on Ingersoll Rand's rating. It's now moving it to a buy. 
It says short cycle trends are bottoming in the U.S. and in China, two key markets for the company, while the pullback in shares create an attractive entry point. Those shares up one and three quarters of one percent. Also, let's go for three here. We got Barclays upgrading Rio Tinto's rating to overweight, citing supportive iron ore demand and share prices sitting at an attractive valuation. Valuation, a big story this morning. Those shares of Rio Tinto up almost two and a half percent. And it's time now for your global briefing. We're going to start off with the Japanese government bonds pulling back from decade highs after the Bank of Japan intervened in the market for the sixth time this month. The BOJ announcing an unscheduled offer to buy roughly $2.7 billion in bonds. Japanese yields, they've been pulled higher by the spike in U.S. Treasuries. Reuters reports that spurred the BOJ to consider additional easing measures at its meeting next week. Shares of Hermes are higher after sales rose more than 15 percent in the third quarter as shoppers are still splurging on Birkin bags and other luxury items. Analysts had lowered expectations for the sector after LVMH noted earlier this month consumers are spending less on high-end fashion. And Barclays' third quarter profits narrowly beating forecasts, but the British bank is flagging pressure on its margins from competition for customers and as sticky inflation impacts lending. Barclays also hinting at major cost-cutting to come later this year. All right, we're now going to turn to Saudi Arabia. Some of Wall Street's biggest leaders descending on Riyadh today, gathering for the 7th Annual Future Investment Initiative Summit. Our Dan Murphy's there at the summit. Dan, good morning. What are some of the names? Uh, like Diamond, Dalio and Solomon. What are they saying at this event? Frank, good morning to you. Well, we're coming to you live today from Davos in the desert. This is the most important financial conference in the Middle East and indeed one of the most important financial conferences globally. And this year it's been a real test of Saudi Arabia's convening power because it was thought that Israel's war against Hamas in Gaza may actually stop some of those titans of finance from descending on Riyadh. I can confidently say it does not appear to have happened. You can see the sheer number of people behind me attending the sessions today. And we have heard from the likes of Jamie Dimon and David Solomon weighing in on the outlook for 2024. They were speaking on a panel only a short time ago. Interestingly, both men sounding quite cautious on the outlook. Listen to this. Then I look at the financial situation, the, the fiscal spending, which is more than it's ever, I'm talking about the United States, but it's almost true around the world. It's more than it's ever been in peacetime by a long shot with the highest debt levels we've ever had by government. <clears throat> and there's this kind of omnipotent feeling that central banks and governments can, can manage through all this stuff. I, I, I'm cautious. I don't think it makes a piece of difference whether rates go up 25 basis points or more. Like zero, none, nada. I think whether the whole curve goes up 100 basis points, you know, I would, I urge people, be prepared for it. I don't know if it's going to happen. But I look at what we're seeing today more like the 70s. A lot of spending, a lot of it's going to be wasted. David is a function of confidence. And so if you listen to the dialogue today, uh, I say there's great uncertainty. Um, and people always try to frame things. You ask the question very clearly, you know, are you optimistic or are you pessimistic? You know, long term, I'm certainly optimistic, but I'm uncertain right now. And if you're a CEO and you're uncertain, you tend to be cautious about doing significant things. 
So you can see that all of the big topics are being discussed on the ground here. We've been talking about the impact of higher interest rates and the impact that that could have on markets, but also surging yields with the 10-year around 5%, the outlook for oil prices, and of course, Frank, central to the conversation right now is geoeconomics as well. It was interesting. Diamond was actually asked what he thought the biggest risk for the outlook was. He says it's nuclear proliferation. It's back to you. Good for thought. Yeah, really a wide-ranging conversation. Uh, our Dan Murphy live in Riyadh. Dan, great reporting as always. Thank you. So ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, we've got the one word that every investor needs to know today. G-squared's Victoria Green. She's here. She's going to lay out a busy trading day ahead and why she says it's a make-or-break week. Take a look at futures in the green across the board. Looks like that would open up about 100 points higher. Stay with us. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Taking a look at mega cap tech for the biggest names reporting this week. You can see it's green across the board. Uh, Amazon, excuse me, Microsoft, which reports later today up 1%. Alphabet also reporting after the bell. We also want to watch shares of EV maker Tesla. Take a look at the action on Tesla up more than 2%. We're tracking that stock this morning. We'll come back to you with any headlines related to Tesla. However, shares up just over 2% in the pre-market. Okay, it's time now for your WEX wrap-up. We're going to start off in China with China's Xi Jinping reportedly making his first known visit to that country's central bank since he became president more than a decade ago. This is according to Bloomberg, which adds the visit comes as Xi's government works to shore up China's economy and financial markets. Shares of Cleveland Cliffs, they're moving higher this morning after reporting a jump in third quarter profit thanks to recent cost-cutting efforts. Cleveland also noting liquidity is at an all-time high after generating over $600 million in free cash flow during the quarter. Shares of Cleveland Cliffs up almost 3%. Redfin shares also surging this morning after announcing Apollo Capital and its affiliates are planning to commit up to $250 million in financing to the real estate company through a loan. That's according to a recent SEC filing. Shares of Redfin up just over 8%. We're also watching shares of Bitcoin, or actually watching Bitcoin, back above $34,000. Thanks to ongoing optimism, the SEC will approve an ETF that invests directly into crypto. And in Washington, House Republicans set to hold a vote later this morning to try to pick a speaker. Eight GOP lawmakers are currently vying for that position. And the information reporting that Elon Musk's boring company has sold shares owned by employees and investors at a price 22% higher than in a funding round last year. The report adds that the sale gives the infrastructure company an implied valuation of over $7 billion. All right, here's what to watch today. We get flash manufacturing PMI and flash services PMI figures this morning and the busy week of earnings. It ramps up with results from Alphabet, Microsoft, GM, GE, Coca-Cola, 3M and Visa today, among others. Those earnings are set to be the catalyst for the trading day ahead. Taking a look at futures with the Nasdaq up Nearly 1% right now. Taking a look at futures off the Dow, solidly in the green, along with the S&P. For much more on the action that we're seeing right now, let's bring in Victoria Green, G-Square Private Wealth founding partner and CIO. She's also a CNBC contributor. Vicky, good morning. Good morning, Frank. All right, as we mentioned, futures solidly in the green this morning. With some bullish sentiment in the market, at least in the pre-market, in mind, what is your WEX word of the day? It's Jaws, right? It feels like we're in shark-infested water. You can almost hear that theme song right now, like, da-na, 
Donna, like it makes your, your skin crawl. And look at what the CIO, their CEOs were saying in Saudi Arabia. There's a lot of risk out there. So I feel like it's shark infested waters. We might need to get a bigger boat to survive this because this is make or break this week, right? Right. NASDAQ features are up right now and they're betting that Microsoft and Google are going to come in strong and Amazon comes in stronger this week. But, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty as, the, as, as they were saying in, in Saudi Arabia. You know, Vic, you mentioned some words, risk, uncertainty, but is there also opportunity? I want to I want to play something for you. This is from J.P. Morgan's chief global investment strategist, A.J. Oden. Here's what he said about the investment investing environment with yields moving higher. When we saw rates almost touch, touch that 5% mark, I mean, they were, they were basically at a buy at 4%, but 5% just becomes that point where you've got to lean in now. And so, you know, hearing that institutional investors are starting to lean in and add duration, it only makes sense for, for the rest of the market to start to make that move as well. So do you agree? He also went on to say this might be a time to buy equities as well. So do you agree this is a buying opportunity on both sides, both fixed income and equities? I see fix is definitely a buying opportunity. It can't get above five. If it gets above five, it's still probably topping out at five, two, five, three at those 2007 highs. So yeah, I think the, the duration trade there is about done. You, you had multiple people come out, uh, you know, they're closed out their short positions, kind of giving the market a little bit of a boost, both Bill Gross uh, and then, um, I'm, I'm blanking on the hedge fund manager that closed this short yesterday, but that definitely, yeah, it boosted the market and everybody said, Oh, okay. Is this short trade over? And it probably, probably got a little bit overdone. Um, you know, if it does hop above five, maybe another 20 basis points. So a lot of this, if you're looking at the move up from four to five, is definitely priced in. And I think investors did jump all over the 10-year the at 5%. And, and you've seen support now back down to 4.8. A little bit thinking that that bond is attractive. Equities, I, I'm, I'm holding off until we see what happens this week. You know, if you get the mega caps coming in strong, then your rally can continue. You okay. still have 4,200 holding. Your line in the sand is there for now. All right. So it's funny you mentioned Bill Ackman, because at the end of his tweet, one of the things he mentioned is that the economy is slowing faster than many of us realize. You have a pick for us today. It's Exxon Mobil. We're showing the tweet from Bill Ackman right now. Uh, it's Exxon Mobil, also part of this energy M&A we've been talking about earlier in the show, making that bid for Pioneer. They also report earnings later this week. So if the idea is that yields are rising in part because the economy is slowing down, why is this a good time to buy an Exxon? Uh, because I see it as a very su supply constrained market still. And we're very excited about their deal for Pioneer, you know, and, and what that can add to them in the Permian. And look, with their printing cash, their upstream is probably going to outperform expectations. We've seen earnings continue to rise over the last couple of weeks, expectations coming up for them because they likely got a lift in commodity prices. If we see elevated commodity prices due to geopolitical shifts and or uh, market disruptions, Exxon's very well positioned to take advantage of higher prices, being one of the largest integrated oils out there. As as, long, as well as we'd love to hear an update on what Pioneer does for them. We love buying them a little bit on that dip on Pioneer because that was probably a little bit of an oversold. But that happens in okay. M&A, right? The acquirer typically takes a dip. So, Vicky, really quick, uh, Amazon also, its report coming up, high valuation mega cap tech name with rising rates in this valuation. Why would you buy Amazon right now? Give us the elevator pitch. <laughs> I know, right? That one seems a little odd for me, but the consumer has held up really, really well. So this is a play on consumer spending. Maybe not the Hermes market, but we've seen spending continue to come in stronger than anticipated. And if they have better AWS numbers, it's going to be a combination of those two things. But they typically get a nice lift at year end because you have a lot of year end spending, holiday spending. Uh, we'll see how Prime Day did. But this company has always been fairly impressive. So I look at them and I think that AWS may come in 
been a little bit stronger than analysts and are anticipating. Okay. And the strength of the consumer just can't can't be denied right now. Vicky, we got to leave it there. Amazon shares at one percent. It is always great to see you. Thank you very much. All right. Squawk Box coming up next. Thanks for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. You haven't heard about the McCrispy yet? Well, then, you probably haven't heard the sweet silence after the first crispy bite either. Go try it for yourself to hear the best not sound you've ever heard.